Hello everyone, welcome to the Stephen King cast, one man's musings on the works of Stephen King. Once I reviewed each of his works in the chronological order of publication, but Ka is a wheel, it all goes round again, and here I am once more on a new phase of the journey to examine each of the endings of the works of Stephen King, to determine whether or not King deserves his reputation for having an inability to successfully land his endings. The focus of the podcast is going to be to examine the climax, falling action, and resolution of the endings to each of his novels and break it down by character, themes, conflict, and plot to determine whether or not it meets the criteria of being an objectively good ending. I will also weigh in on whether or not I happen to personally, subjectively like the ending. And today I'm here to discuss the ending of Insomnia. Insomnia, a novel that is um, not widely adored by uh, King fans out there. There are definitely a lot of detractors. However, there are a lot of supporters, um, and I'm one of those. So I'm going into this with some bias, and it's always interesting for me with this experiment that I have going is to see whether or not um, some, uh, some biases that I have towards certain novels um, affect my view of the ending and and how objective I can be on on an ending. So novels that I, I haven't entirely enjoyed, like uh, Cujo, um, I was very favorable towards the ending of of Cujo because I really tried to look at it through an objective lens. Um, and I wonder if I'm going to be able to do that with something that I just happen to adore because I love insomnia. Um, I, the last episode that I posted, um, it was a re-release of my original review of Insomnia um, because I just wanted to, to get that back out to everyone in case they haven't listened to it a while or haven't listened to it at all. In, without getting into the, um, the objective questions that uh, I'll be focusing on in a little bit, from a, just a fan, um, there's just a lot to love about this particular book. As I've stated before, this was the first new Stephen King novel that was published after I became a fan of Stephen King's books. So I became a constant reader. I was addicted to Stephen King at that point. Nightmares and Dreamscapes was the first uh, collection of short stories that was published um, since I had become a fan. But then Insomnia hit, and it's like it was tailor-made for me. It was weird, it was wild, it was so rich with character, um, it was a fantastic companion piece to it, and it was only until actually much later as I went into in the full review, um, it was much later um, for the purposes of the podcast when I did the reread how much I realized it functioned as a companion piece to it, and the more I can talk about insomnia to get that known to people that might otherwise not understand that, that with, with it, Stephen King manages to illustrate, highlight, and, and, and work within the, the world um, of a child and an adult to really showcase what life is like as a child, as an adult, with dairy as a backdrop in Insomnia, he is able to really show us what um, what it's like to, to be a, a senior citizen and be in the final act of your life. So between these two novels, King has 
been able to show us life in three distinct stages. So you get human existence with these two novels played out against the backdrop of this haunted city. And I think that that is, um, I think that's something worth talking about. And I think that's something worth um, celebrating. Um, that's not that's not to say that this novel is without its criticisms because it certainly is. And I don't get me wrong. Um, just because I'm a fan does not mean that I um, cannot understand those criticisms, and it does not mean that I will not discuss those criticisms. Um, those I will definitely get into that in a little bit. Um, but a couple other reasons why I just happen to to love this book so much is I mean it, it's. The role that this book plays within the Dark Tower um, and the Dark Tower connections within this novel when you read it for the first time, they're mind-blowing because King was never as overt with that um, as he was when he started to do this. So it's just um, mind-blowing. Um, and then, you know, this is, this is uh, just something that, you know, they say that, that smells always take you back. But for me... Um, there is an intersection between the events of this book and my life um, because the, the book hit in September of, what, 95, I think it was. Um, and the, the, the novel itself takes place in the fall. And I, I have distinct memories of the fall as I read this novel. Um, so it, it's what Stephen King does with this book, it's, it's a beautiful encapsulation of this particular time of year. And for all of us New Englanders, um, it was really great. It's a great one to read in the fall um, because King just really captures it. It just really blurs the, the, the realities between uh, your life and the book. Um, so it's a good one to be talking about now um, as I record this. It's still early October. Um, okay, guys, I am going to put a pin in it regarding... Insomnia for right now, I want to read a listener email from Dawn who writes, I am already your biggest fan, pun intended. I just finished Paper Ghosts, which was my first podcast ever. I'm still a book reader rather than a podcaster, I guess. I went to the search tool and found and searched for what else? Stephen King. I thought Stephen King cast would be appropriate. I've been a rabid uh, reader since reading The Stand. I was about 15 or 16. I couldn't stop reading. I ingested this book and proceeded to find and consume every book I could find often terrified, horrified, shocked, and thoroughly entertained. I am very excited to hear your take on his works. Um, I remember writing a paper, Stephen King as Literature, in college, making the argument that our grandchildren would be learning about King in the years to come based on his impact. I fully agree. I got a C, but if I swapped names with Poe, it would have been an A. I have read and reread all of his books several times over. I'm excited to hear another's take on his works. Looking forward to looking back, starting episode one now. Dawn, Dawn, thank you for writing in, and I hope you enjoy your journey. There's a lot of episodes out there for you. Um, so enjoy, and thank you for writing in. Thank you, Dawn, for writing in. I, I really, I really do appreciate it. Um, and that's the only email I'm going to read for right now. But if anyone wants to share your thoughts on anything relating to Stephen King, but, you know, if you want to talk about one of the endings that I've recently discussed or um, your thoughts on Stephen King as it pertains to him being able or unable to um, successfully uh, conclude his stories, write in to StephenKingCast at Yahoo.com. Okay, guys, what I'm going to do now, I'm going to read some some uh, iTunes reviews because I can't do this uh, without some help and I do ask for help out there um, on the iTunes world. So we have uh, Matt 
uh, Matt Butt Willie, who writes, uh, five stars, fantastic. A few years ago, I heard about the Dark Tower, then learned about the King universe. Since then, I've read every book um, that associates with the Dark Tower. It was great, but I wish I had someone to go over those those Easter eggs I found or the ones I did. Well, I found this podcast. Absolutely fantastic and can't thank the host enough. Obviously politically left-leaning on his opinions, but I can look past that. Thank you, uh, Matt But Willie. I do appreciate that. Um, yes, I do lean politically left. Um, yes, um, I do discuss politics. That's actually good for, for people to know because we're still early on. And if you're listening to the first time, po- politics will come up for a couple reasons. One, um, portions of this podcast are just reflective of my life as a, as a podcaster. Um People that have been listening to me for uh, the last six years have gotten to know certain elements of my life, um, uh, the the birth of my daughter, the death of my dog, um, being able to publish some short stories of my own. So th- there's been an invite into my life to a certain degree, um, and in doing so, you know, I will discuss politics here and there, but it's not as if it is devoid from the purpose of this podcast. Um, you know, this uh, a podcast designed now analyzing the works of Stephen King. Stephen King himself is a very left-leaning, um, politically-minded individual who uses his platform to, um, I guess, push liberal agenda. Um, you know, he has a, a means to share his opinion with the world. Um, Twitter is very much um, his platform for A, criticizing what he sees to be um, uh, corrupt or um, or uh, disingenuous uh, politicians. Um, so that's something that he does even outside of his writing. As a writer, Stephen King is someone that has always written what he knows and um he uses his voice and his thoughts and he pours those into his novels, which again, tend to be very liberal. So it's, for anyone that does happen to be more conservatively minded, all right, um, I, I, it is never my goal to alienate a listener or to go out of my way to insult, demean, belittle, or make someone feel bad because of a way in which they might feel or vote. Um, I have stronger opinions on that, and understandably, the world in which we live currently, from a political standpoint, standpoint has never been more divisive um, with the advent of 24-7 news channels, social media, um, and like the, the sports team-based uh, mentality of siding with your political party, it's very, very difficult to have um, nuanced conversations without the emotions being brought to the conversation. Um, So I do appreciate anyone that continues to listen to this when I am so, at times, very outspoken in my beliefs, which happen to be, most of the time, critical of our current president um, and those with whom he works. So, it's a long way of saying um, for uh, Matt, but Willie and others out there, thank you for listening despite the fact that um, you and I do not share um, certain beliefs. I appreciate that you come back every week. And you're not the only one that, that has written in recently um, uh, discussing that. Uh, then we have uh, uh, 
Me Plus Ultra 123, who love who writes, while I love the insights that the podcaster provides on King, it's oftentimes very distracting and irritating when his dog is making noises during the podcast. In one episode, I kept hearing an odd noise. It was about midway through the podcast when he mentioned that his dog was sleeping in the room. It might be a good idea to put the dog outside or at least out of the room while podcasting. Again, great work, but the sound quality at times leaves much to be desired. If the content wasn't so good, the sound quality would bring this down to a three. Correction. The dog has heard sleeping, snoring in more than one episode. I really don't understand why the podcaster wouldn't realize the sound can be picked up by a mic. He had to change and it changed my original review from a four to a three. This is such a simple fix. So um, I do appreciate the honesty from um, Net Plus Ultra One Two Three, um, which goes back to something that I had just um, mentioned. I am not a professional podcaster. Um, I have not invested a lot of money into this particular operation. What I have done is invest um, a pretty significant amount of time, um, which as the years go by, I have less and less as. Um, so while you all know me as constant reader, um, the, the, the podcast host of the Stephen King cast, that's only one small component of, of who I am. I'm a husband, a father, um, and, and, and an employee um, of a job that, that takes up a lot of my time. Um, so the, the reason why I say this is that from the get-go, from the design, that this, this was designed for me to just be a way to, to, to get these thoughts to you so that we could share in a very much like a hangout session um, what Stephen King means to us. Um, and yeah, th that does mean that I, I don't have a booth. I don't have um, a, a room um, to myself um, in the episodes at times. You'll hear a refrigerator kicking up behind me. You will hear uh, a laundry. You'll hear a laundry going maybe in the corner. You might hear footsteps upstairs uh, from my wife, or you might actually hear the sound of her talking to some friends every now and then. You're going to hear some background noise. It, it can happen at times. It's not always, but it, it can happen, and that's good for new listeners just to know what you're getting in in for. Um, so that can be out. That can be off-putting because you know, a lot of you listening are probably just like. I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't care about your life, dude. I just want to hear what you have to say about Stephen King. I get it. Totally get it. Um, but I also know that there is another camp who has followed me on this journey and kind of has appreciated those little touches, um, the window into, into who I am. Um, so it's, it's a two-way street, and it's not for everyone, um, but I do appreciate you taking the time to, to write in. Uh, let's see. And then we have Kaman or Kamen1226, who just lost it, uh, who writes, um, great stuff, five stars. I may be the rarest constant reader, a conservative, um, who loves Stephen King. The host of this podcast, constant reader, is thorough, intelligent, and humorous. He gives an analysis he gives his analysis a special touch of the of heart that you don't see a lot with the podcasts. While there is a lot to appreciate from this podcast and the host, there is something unheard of in today's society. He leaves the politics at the proverbial door. While the host has mentioned that he is a liberal, I have not felt uncomfortable listening to this podcast once, something I can't say about most other podcasts I listen to. Thank you for that. Please keep up the great work and throw a treat at your dogs for me. Um, so... Uh, Camin1226 actually kind of combined the last two reviews into, into one review. So I, I appreciate the shout out for the dogs. Um, and uh, just like, um, you know, at Matt Butt Willie, I, I do, you know, I, I appreciate uh, that. And I appreciate you um, 
you know, letting me know uh, that this is a podcast that you will come back to, you know, despite the fact that we might disagree on some stuff. Um, so thank you. Thank you for writing that, writing in. Um, you know, I, I, liked, I liked hearing that. It's important, I think, for, for us to, to be able to share those, those experiences. Okay. Um, and then I have uh, WI Steve 83 who writes five stars. Great, thorough podcast. I've been enjoying this podcast as I make my way through a reread of all of King's works. I like the attention to detail, and I think the decision to go back and look through all of his endings to King's novels is a great way to keep the podcast going. Now all we need are episodes covering a few books neglected along the way. Smiley face. There are a couple um, out there that I will definitely get to. Um, then we have CMN Memes, who writes five stars. Great listen for both constant readers and those new to King. Excellent insight from an analytical reader and also provides a great roadmap for your own interpretations of not just King's works, but any fiction you enjoy. Awesome. Thank you so much. Uh, Full Tilted writes, excellent five stars. Really great podcast. Smart and insightful. One of the best. Thank you so much. Um... New Amsterdam Fam, three stars, uh, who writes, I enjoy this podcast, and perhaps this has been done already, but I no longer have access, but can you please review The Desperation and The Regulators, two lesser-known and less popular King novels, or are they Richard Bachman books? Either way, they don't get the attention they deserve. Many thanks. New Amsterdam Fan, um, yeah, I... I uh, I reviewed both Desperation and The Regulators, and to uh, simulate the the publishing um, experience of those two novels, I, I published the the reviews of those two books on the same day. Um, so all you have to do is go back into the feed to 1996, I think, is when those books came out, and you will get the um, the review of uh, Desperation and The Regulators. Fully agree, they don't get they don't get a lot as much love, especially The Regulators. Though I am seeing more. Um, more conversation around the the regulators online um, in 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 the twitters when we we talk a little bit about King. It is a a shame, a travesty that um, it has not been adapted into a movie or a TV series because the the surreality within the regulators would make for an incredibly captivating uh, audiovisual experience. Um, and then we have um, Mrs. KK uh, nineteen sixty two who writes, um, constant reader has a voice that will capture you and take you right into the work he is reviewing. Thank you. Um, I've probably been reading Stephen King since before constant reader's birth, but he has given me some added insight into the books and a hunger to go back and reread many of them. His insights are spot on research impeccable. His knowledge of the Stephen King universe stuns me. If you are a Stephen King fan, you would do yourself a disservice by not listening in. So thank you everybody for, for writing in. I really appreciate it. I can't do it. Um, alone. So if you do have some time on your hands and you have appreciated uh, listening to the Stephen King cast over the last six years, uh, do me a favor and just write in to, um, write in a review to iTunes. It would it would really, really help me out. Thank you, everybody. Okay, that's enough of the plugs. That's enough of the, uh, the, the reviews. Let's get to insomnia. Before I get to insomnia, let me read a Wikipedia summary so that I have a basis upon which I can uh, discuss my analysis. The story is set in the fictional town of Derry, Maine. Retiree Ralph Roberts encounters his formerly good-natured acquaintance of Ed Deepno at the local airfield. Ed is aggressive and swearing obscenely at a driver he accuses of secretly transporting fetal tissue from abortions. Some months later, Ralph, now a widow, widower, encounters Ed's wife, Helen, who has been badly beaten by her husband after having signed a pro-choice-related petition. 
Months later, Helen leaves Ed and hides at a woman's shelter. Ralph begins to suffer from sleep maintenance insomnia, waking earlier each night until he is barely able to sleep an hour each night. As his insomnia develops, Ralph begins to see things invisible and intangible to others, colorful manifestations of life force surrounding people, and diminutive white-coated beings he calls little bald doctors based on their appearance. He gradually concludes these are not hallucinations, but genuine things present on a different level of reality. He realizes that Ed Deepno also sees those things. Ralph's friend Lois Chasse, or Chase, Chas admits to him that she too has recently begun seeing auras which she can interpret. Ralph and Lois encounter two bald doctors calling themselves Clotho and Lachesis who act with dignity and free people from life when it is their time to pass away. A third bald doctor Atropos is a crazed rogue who seems to delight in disrupting lives and prematurely ending them. Ralph and Lois learn that life is largely governed by the purpose and the random, forces or entities which are not enemies so much as opposites. Ed Deepno is one of the few rare beings who is not assigned to either force and can therefore greatly change existence. Ralph and Lois learn of the Crimson King, a shape-shifting higher dimensional villain who feeds on fear and grief and craves and craves chaos to rule over. The Crimson King has sent Atropos to manipulate Deepno as part of a plan to upset the entire order of the universe. Unable to intervene directly, Clotho and Lachesis, agents of the purpose, give Ralph and Lois insomnia to help them gain, uh, perceive, and even access other levels of reality so that they can defeat Atropos. The benign bald doctors say these levels can be imagined as beams of a skyscraper and Ralph has a vision of the Dark Tower, a representation of the multiverse. Well-known and controversial pro-activist Susan Day is due to talk at the Dairy Civic Center. Lois and Ralph see the building shrouded by a black aura, signifying a dark future. The Crimson King has been provoking Ed's feelings regarding abortion, turning him into a violent and paranoid fanatic. With a small plane containing C4 explosives, Ed intends to make a kamikaze attack on the Civic Center during Susan Day's speech, killing her and everyone within. Lois and Ralph are resentful at being manipulated by outside forces but decide that they must prevent the attack. Allies of Ed Deepno set fire to the shelter where Helen has been staying since leaving him. Ralph and Lois save the residents and seek out Atropos. Ralph overcomes the malicious being, extracting a promise from Atropos that he will not interfere with him and Lois, knowing the little bald doctors are bound to their promises. Once released, Atropos torments Ralph with a vision of a car impact in the near future that will take the life of Helen's young daughter, Natalie Deepno. Her death will be retaliation for Atropos not being able to interfere with Ralph. Ralph tells the benign bald doctors that he will not stop Ed Deepno unless they allow him to save Natalie Deepno later, offering his own life for hers. A higher level entity briefly manifests, causing awe in Clotho and Lachesis as it declares that Ralph's terms are, unaccept are acceptable. He and Lois learn that almost all of reality has stopped to watch the events unfolding as the success or failures of Ed's attack could affect all of reality. The Crimson King's true target is not the speaker Susan Day, as they had imagined, but a boy from the local shelter who will be in the audience. Patrick Danville, a young artist prophesized to one day play an instrumental role in preserving the Dark Tower and thus the multiverse and aiding in the defeat of the Crimson King. The Crimson King has repeatedly tried to end the life of a messiah, but in Derry, a place of convergence, this is now possible. 
Ed Deepno takes off in his plane, and Ralph fights him on board. The Crimson King manifests to prevent him from interrupting Ed's mission. Ralph succeeds in causing the plane to crash some distance away from the center, surviving by shifting himself to a higher plane of reality before impact. Returning to his proper place in reality, Ralph and Lois fall in love and get married, gradually forgetting their adventures with the little bald doctors. In an epilogue taking place some years later, Ralph again starts experiencing insomnia. He once again sees auras and eventually remembers his adventure at the promise to exchange his life for Natalie's. He arrives in time to see the car from his vision appear and veer towards Natalie. Ralph pushes Natalie to safety, losing his own life in the process. He dies peacefully with Lois at his side as Clotho and Lachesis watch over him. All right. Uh, so, uh... Let's talk about everything from Ralph in the plane to stop Ed before he blows up the Civic Center. That Everything from that point onward, I would constitute as the ending. So in order to talk about endings, what are the criteria for a good ending? Does it provide an appropriate conclusion to its characters that is consistent with the characters' actions, conflicts, and themes of the book? From a character standpoint, absolutely. For Ralph, it begins with death and it ends with death. Um... So for Ralph's perspective, uh, yeah, it's, it's very consistent. However, if you look at it through the eyes of Lois, um, it's kind of a bummer. Um, she kind of becomes uh, relegated to um, a, a real peripheral character by the end. Um, and it's just sad. It's a tragedy for Lois that she falls in love again. She's able to have um, this second life um, with Ralph, but it's, it's taken for reasons that I'll get into are, are vague and possibly unnecessary, but, um, it is hard not to fall in love with the characters from this book. Um, you love Ralph, you love Lois, you, you love these characters. Um, so for the way it ends with Ralph, um, dying by, uh, car crash, um, which again is, a it's haunting, knowing what really happens with Stephen King a few years after he, he writes this. Um, it, it's very, very fitting. So yes, I believe that this, is, this fits criteria for a good ending. Big question here, does it successfully wrap up the plot? Specifically, do the events build upon one another with consistency? Hmm. Yes and no. Um, by design, we, we don't know much about the full reason uh, behind the Crimson King's motivations here. Patrick Danville isn't so much of a character as he is a plot device. So as a plot device, if, the if he is the motivation for the Crimson King, then by saving this plot device, it works. For people who are frustrated at the lack of detail around Patrick, I get it. But King is doing something different here. He's not creating a story that has a neat beginning, middle, and ending. Because of its relationship to a larger body of work, much like the realities within the Dark Tower universe itself, the edges separating the stories are bleeding into one another. So we don't get explanations for the Dark Tower, for Roland, the origins of the Crimson King, etc. However, the execution is the realization of the author's intent, and spoiler alert for the Dark Tower, there is an explanation that comes in Book 7. Whether that's satisfactory to the readers the Calvin Towers, will be up to each individual. 
But for Insomnia, because the novel is so focused on Ralph, and we meet him as his wife dies, and we see him grow in the year that follows, all leading to a death on his own terms, the plot that is established serves him well. It's hard to talk about this much more without getting into themes, which we'll talk about in a second. So that was the yes. As the plot treats the characters, the novel works. As the plot wraps up the conflict, yes. However, what King does in this book is create a fantastical magical property and a series of magical properties that unfortunately exist without much in the way of rules. Because of this, King can basically write whatever he wants without it making much sense in the overall plot. When an author writes his characters out of a jam through the involvement of an external force, it's what the English majors of the world calls deus ex machina, and it's a problem here in Insomnia. The good news is that King had personified the gods in the machine to a certain extent with the little bald doctors. However, he continued to add to the pile of gods in the machine with the off-page appearances of the never-explained, never-seen-again green man. The appearance of this character throws an unnecessary last-minute mystery into the story that muddies waters that are already swimming with shape-shifting, astral-projecting devil gods, three spirits of fate, auras, intangibility, reverse aging, and a giant multiversal tower. I know the green man is such a small detail, but his appearance in the end only shines a spotlight on a wacky series of rules that King is making up as he goes along. For instance, Ralph is able to defeat the Crimson King because a psychic bomb has been implanted in his arm. The psychic bomb also guarantees that he will take the place of the death of a little girl. Why these two events are linked are never fully explained logically and don't necessarily quote-unquote fit together. I understand that in the climax, it's heroic for the character to sacrifice himself to save the innocent, which is what Ralph is doing on multiple levels. However... The way in which King does this is cosmically unclear. So from a plot perspective, the answer is both yes and no. Does the conclusion serve the theme, symbolism, and motifs? Yes, Ralph ascends to a new level of the tower. It is a beautifully captured depiction of embracing life while aging, and going out on your own terms. Yes, I would say that a story that involves him um, lifting up and being able to, to physically float upward into new planes of reality um, reflects uh, the, the life that he has after the death of his wife, um, where he is able to see a, a beautiful new reality with someone else um, in this new life that has been created for him. Next question. Um, this doesn't, and this question doesn't necessarily um, mean that it's a, it's a guarantee for or against uh, a good ending, but it's kind of like a, a wild card X factor um, question that that I guess it does help. It does help an ending if the answer is yes. What is the most famous scene in the novel, and does it appear in the conclusion of the story? I mean, I, I guess it, are there any famous scenes in this novel? It's just not a famous novel, but. If I was to choose one, um, it's Ralph and Lois going under Atropos's tree layer or the magical plane ride, which does take place in the ending. Are there other factors that we need to consider? Um, like I said um, earlier, by design, it is tied into the Dark Tower, um, and I won't get into too much of that there, but that is um, a, a, a new component to the phase of Stephen King. Um, 
at this series of his writing where he starts to be more overt in his connections and starts t making those links much, much, much more apparent. Um, this is a wild and imaginative uh, story. Um, gone are the days of very simple premises like haunted house, family stuck inside, um, rabid devil dog um, trapping family inside car, uh, vampires come to town. Um, th this there's a lot going on with this, and King seems more more interested in really exploring the characters. Like I said, against the backdrop of this fantastical. Uh, reality rather than, than than really just exploring the reality itself, which, you know, I'm fine with. I mean, from a character standpoint, the book is beautiful, and it's because of the character work that you're, you're able to care about what occurs within the novel from a plot and conflict and theme uh, standpoint. Okay, two questions. Do I like the ending? Do I like the ending? Yo, I love the ending. Um, I love the ending um, to this book. The, uh, the plane ride is crazy stupid. Um, you know, Ralph's sacrifice is tragic, and it, it gets me because you care so much about Ralph. Um, yeah, I'm into it. I, I mean, and the Dark Tower drop uh, is uh, is an all-timer for me. So for all those reasons, yo, I love the ending of this book. But I'm not really here to talk about whether or not I like the ending. I'm here to talk about whether or not it's a good ending. Okay, so the question is, is it a good ending? So I spent a long time in this episode uh, talking about the plot and how from a plot perspective when we're wrapping it up it kind of falls apart and you know what guys because the rules are fast and loose within within this novel um, and because things happen without you know real validity and because you know I was able to point out a number of flaws within the ending of the plot um, if you do not feel as though this is a good ending I agree with you. I like this ending, but I wouldn't consider it a good ending because the plot is too loose. Um, so you know what, guys? This does not get a vote of a good ending. It's an ending I like, but it's not a good ending. Um, so I would, so far, I like 23 of 23 endings, and 20 out of the 23 endings are what we have objectively stated are good. Okay. So that is Insomnia. If you have any thoughts on Insomnia, write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. Only thing that I have left to say is if you are not reading The Immortal Hulk by Al Ewing and Joe Bennett from Marvel Comics, please do so. I've been pushing off on reading this for a while, um, but I got into it um, last week and I soaked up all 37 issues. This thing is amazing. It is the heir apparent to Alan Moore's Swamp Thing. Um, and I really give props to Marvel Comics for putting it out there because it is uh, very dark, very gruesome, very horrific. There's some body horror stuff that occurs in this with images that are really, really haunting uh, to be published um, without, uh, you know, mature warning or, you know, I mean, when, when Swamp Thing was created, you know, it, it launched the vertical line, but... Um, but this is just being published. It's great. It's it's fantastic. It's really, really it's a wonderful horror story set within the Marvel universe. Really um, examining the Hulk as a monster, um, and not just a monster, but with ties to uh, hell. Really, what it comes down to. I don't want to go so far as to say that he's a demon because it isn't presented um, through the lens of Christianity. But um, Al Ewing is doing some really amazing stuff. 
um, and Joe Bennett is just killing it on the, the, the visuals. So if you want a really good Halloween read, uh, you're not going to do much better than Immortal Hulk. Strongly recommend it, guys. It's really, really good stuff. Okay, guys, and that's all I got. So if you have anything that you want to say, write into Stephen Kingcast at yahoo.com. And next week I will be back for Rose Matter. Or next week, yeah, right, that's going to happen. I'm sorry, guys. I, I since, um, since late August, uh, things have gotten really, really busy, and I was able to carve a little bit of time out this afternoon, which means that I get to do this episode. I don't know when the next episode is going to come, but whenever it is, uh, I'll see you there. So may you have long days and pleasant nights, and I'll see you here next time where M-O-O-N spells Stephen King cast. <laughs>